Welcome to C-Suite Radio. It's time for another edition of The Brett Allen Show. It's go time, you and me! Join us weekly for the latest pop culture interviews from your favorite TV shows, movies, comedians, and so much more. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you, it felt good. Plus, you never know who will drop by. What happened here was a miracle. Now, here is your host. I said throw down, boy. Welcome to the night's main event. Brett Allen. Reed Diamond is our guest today on the show. I'm so excited. I have been really just going through your filmography recently and just making sure I check all the boxes because you have been a part of so many projects. Thank you for your time. It's great to meet you and chat with you today. Brett, it's awesome to be here, man. I've been looking forward to it. Well, I'm excited. We're going to go in as much of order as I can, but I was looking at this here and you, of course, did Designated Survivor with... right. Um, Kiefer, and then you did 24 with him previously. So I have to just ask before I forget, when Designated Survivor came along, was that an automatic offer from him to be a part of that project because you had worked together before? Well, that's interesting. Um, I remember, I mean, yeah, I had a great time working with him on 24. And then I remember when I heard about Designated Survivor, probably when they were getting ready to do the pilot and I heard the log line on it and I go, oh, I want to be on this show. But okay. I don't know yeah, because it was just such a, what a cool concept that a guy who's not uh, ever planning on being president and isn't necessarily qualified to be president uh, gets to be president. And also, you know, you've got this, um, you know, horrible event that causes that situation to occur. But I don't know if Kiefer, I don't think Kiefer invited me. I think it was um, Dave Guggenheim, the, the creator. Okay. Yeah, showrunner. But yeah, they did offer me, uh, you know, I think when I can't remember when I came in, like sixth episode. So I, I came in somewhere at the beginning of the first season. And then and it was funny because uh, so many things are top secret on television. And I, I remember getting that first scene. I think it was me and Maggie Hugh in that first scene where I'm I'm director Forrestal some, somewhere in the FBI. And he was just sort of enigmatic and probably a bad guy. And then they just kept inviting me back for more. And uh, in fact, I had some friends who went to, a, I think, like a, a, a memorial service for somebody with, and Kiefer was there. And they're like, they're like, oh, we're friends with Reed Diamond. And Kiefer's like, oh, he's coming back for more. There's going to be a lot more to do. And I was really excited about it because it was a great cast. And I really liked the scripts and I loved the character. But it was funny because I went to... Uh, uh, to the creator and I said, hey, because uh, they sometimes they like to keep things top secret. And they don't tell you, go, am I a good guy or a bad guy? <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, and he goes, and he goes, well, you seem like a bad guy. So you're probably a good guy. And uh, and I end up becoming a good guy. But that's it's funny because uh, uh, nowadays uh, I've been lucky recently where I've gotten the whole I've gotten the whole script before I start. And I kind of know where we're going. So I know if I'm a bad guy or a good guy. But I, oftentimes I play that character where I, I'm either the the good guy who thinks the bad guy or the bad guy who you think is the good guy. Um, so and uh, and also you know, the top secret aspect of it is always very funny. I just uh, I just came back from doing um, Law and Order, organized crime, and I guess I can't really say anything about the character, but I was like, I think he's a bad guy. But yeah, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Oftentimes. Uh, particularly because you don't know and right. they tease it out to the point where they have you rooting for 
the character, regardless of whether they're good or bad. It's just, I think it comes down to writing, right? As far yeah. as how the story is written. That's very cool that you're doing that. We love the Dick Wolf universe over here. Heck yeah. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see how that storyline plays out for you. Now I'm going through this here and you've done so many different things, but winding the clock back homicide yeah. life yeah. on the street. Was that really like your big break into the business? Cause you had done other things before that, but was that really what launched you? I mean, you did all the seasons pretty much almost 70 episodes. Yeah. I well, So homicide was one of the greatest probably the greatest job of my career. It was a really important and special experience. And, uh, but you asked that great question. Like, was that my big break? I feel like I keep, I've had like nine big breaks, right? Okay. Cause that's, that's kind of what it's like, you know, as you said, I have a long, I have a long resume. It's cause I've been in the business a long time. It's almost been 40 years. Right? I started wow. at seven, you know, 17 years old. I joined SAG in 1985. Um, and I've earned my living as actor since I was 17. So, I mean, because my first movie was this movie called Memphis Bell, uh, which we did and came out in 1990. But my first, yeah, I mean, Homicide was was huge for me. And it was sort of a long time. Um, it was a few years in the making because I remember I was sitting in a hotel room in Vancouver shooting a pilot for another show for NBC when the first episode of Homicide aired on television. And I just wow. remember... And I, I remember sitting in my hotel room shooting this other pilot and watching that first episode. And I go, I want to be on this show. I have to be on this show. And it even goes back a little bit further because um, I started in New York. I uh, grew up in New York. I went to theater school in New York. I, I started my acting career. In fact, my one of my first jobs was on the original Law & Order, the first, you know, the, the original iteration of Law & Order, season two. Uh, and then at the time in 1991, 92, when I did that show, it was the only new, uh, TV show in New York City. So after I finished shooting that, I moved out to Los Angeles. And um, and shortly after getting to Los Angeles, I, I had some sort of one of first of probably many existential crises. And I go, what am I doing? Maybe I acting. I don't know. Is that a real job? I should do something real. And I go, I think I'm going to become a cop. And and I, I I befriended. There's a, a bunch of LAPD guys who do smaller parts or even background work in uh, shows in LA. And I befriended one. And he's like, "Hey, I'll take you to the police academy, and he'll take you on a ride along." And then the the hilarious part was all the cops I met. Uh, they all wanted to become actors, and uh, which of course, right? And and I had and I realized um, this is what I was born to do. It's what I love to do. So. Um, hopefully one day a show will come along where I can play a, a cop realistically and homicide was that gift. So I remember, so now cut to three years later from doing that pilot and sitting in my Vancouver hotel room, I get an audition for homicide life on the street uh, for this, this part. And I just remember it was a brilliant scene. It was one scene. And I go, Oh gosh, if they want a guy like me who looks like me, um, I'm going to get this. But at the time, and I think this was even in the breakdown of the character in the early '90s. Everything that I went up for, um, the breakdowns, if if you don't know, is a sort of description of the character, age, uh, what what type of person they are, maybe some uh, aspects of the character, and what goes on in the show. And almost everything I auditioned for in the early '90s, it said a Johnny Depp type. Interesting, and, right? Because he was this, he was the thing. So that's what they were going yeah. for on TV. So everything I auditioned for was a Johnny Depp type. And I was sort of uh, 
the opposite in many ways of what Johnny Depp type was blonde, blue eyed guy. You know, I seemed like I was from the Midwest, even though I'd grown up in New York City. And I go, if they want a guy who looks like me, I'm going to get this part. I remember going to NBC in Burbank at some, there was a casting building off on that campus there and everyone was there, but I was like, I felt really, I was, I was like, this is my part. I've been, I've been preparing for this for three years, trying to play this cop. And luckily it happened. And Tom Fontana and Barry Levinson decided to let me join the show. And uh, yeah, it was, Mike Kellerman was a gift. One of the greatest characters I've ever had the good fortune to play. And ironically, or, or coincidentally, I guess, um, I work with all these people all the time. So the last episode I just shot of this Law & Order Organized Crime, it was directed by Jean de Sogonzac, who was our DP on Homicide. And what made Homicide unique at the time, especially as a network show, because Basic Cable really hadn't happened yet and HBO was just starting to make programming, um, he shot the whole show handheld, 16 millimeter camera, pre-video, and uh, and which gave that show homicide that that look um, that many people have tried to copy since. And um, but it was a, 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 a young Jean de Sogonzac holding a 16 millimeter camera on his shoulders. So and he had he had the second oh. hardest job because the hardest job was Boots, who actually had to do was the focus puller on our show, because the beauty of homicide. And I remember Tom articulating this. Um, he said, because in real life, cops, you know, he goes, he wanted to create a situation where actors, the actors could stand still, where the characters could stand still and the the, the camera would create the movement. And uh, because often there's always that uh, that joke or uh, funny part of Law and Order, which I always love of the original Law and Order. When the cops are interviewing someone, that person never stops the task that they're doing. No, they're always unloading a truck <laughs> exactly or right. washing you- dishes. That's like become like a. Pop right. culture meme and gift. It's a pop culture meme. Because it's because of of course you're gonna carry on stacking your boxes when a homicide detective is in you know interviewing you about the death of someone. <laughs> so 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 Tom fixed that. But uh, but Boots, the focus puller, they never knew where Jean was gonna point the camera per se. So he'd have to know how to get everyone in focus. And um so I my hat's off to Boots, uh the focus puller on homicide. So yeah, that was one of my first really big breaks. Yeah, that was such a great show. Interestingly yeah. enough, surprisingly not one that they've tried to reboot or bring back to another network, which I think, you know, depending on how it goes, it can be really good. Yeah. But it's also one of those treasure troves of a show where it still has legs today, you know, recently just rewatching episodes right. before our yeah. conversation because it's just it was a really good show. I think very smartly written. It was an extraordinary show. And and I think what you have to, you have to put it into its historical context too, uh, which is now that we're in this other golden age that they call of television, what was, what you have to realize is that was a network television show, right? And that yeah. was still the time where really the networks at that time, Fox was just sort of really beginning with the X-Files and that was their claim to fame. But you, uh, you had, you were trying to make cutting edge dramas or comedies um, on network and I feel like for me, I always feel like the last time they did that was sort of the West Wing, because once uh, once basic cable opened up and you had Netflixes and you had, you know, even TNTs and, and AMCs and and of course, HBO, it really suddenly that was a place to go do that type of drama. And obviously, I always look at The Wire because The Wire is my favorite television mm. show i think of all time and that was created by david simon who wrote the book homicide that our show was uh, based on and he was a writer on the show 
And now you got to, I was, I look at that show jealously because, you know, we had to create a, a realistic cop show without cursing. Right. And <laughs> any sort of, you know, gratuitous uh, violence or nudity. So it was that was always the challenge of, you know, how many times can you say son of a bitch? Right. And uh, but yeah, Homicide was a special show. And also, I think it's difficult sometimes, you know, if you're younger to remember at that time in the 90s, people who were there was film. And there was television, right? So people who acted in film weren't going to lower themselves and do television, but this was something else. So you had all these, you had these incredible writers who wrote the show, and then we'd get all these incredible directors to come in. And oftentimes they'd be someone who directed an independent film. They weren't television directors per se. And then you would have all these amazing guest stars. You got movie stars to come. Robin Williams wants to be there. People, everyone wants, I mean, if you just look at the list of guest stars, I mean, so we were making something very special for uh, time. And and I knew it then. And um, I feel honored that I got to be part of it. But now the only reason it's not syndicated, and you probably know this, is just that the, the use of music, they couldn't afford to put it out again because they put in such incredible music yeah. that really brought the show alive, right? And they're like, they can't pay for those songs right now. So I hope, I heard some rumor, David Simon said something on, online that maybe they were in negotiations because it would be great. I mean, I've, I've always owned the DVDs because it's just a wonderful. I have the DVDs. I mean, that was a great show. Yeah. You're, you're tongue in cheek about the gratuitous, you you know, sex and the shield came along and took care of that. (laughs) And the shield was a special thing because that's the beginning of FX, right? That was sort of their flagship show. I remember they were very excited about this new network because I was in the pilot, right, of the shield and we're sitting there at the read throughs and the heads of of FX were there. And and this was their their hope that they were going to make these cutting edge dramas and turned out pretty well for them. Yeah, I I would say so for sure. I mean, that was another really fun show. Well, I mean, you've had such a good career and you mentioned that you've worked with these people over and over again. And I think it just goes to show you it's important to be kind in this business because you never know who you're going to wind up working with at some point. Uh, You know, whether it's David Guggenheim or whoever you've mentioned in this conversation, like they're bound to show up again at some point. Right. I mean, you just have to keep that in mind. Well, it's a funny thing, you know, because first of all, I mean, you're either a good person or you're not a good person. And, uh, uh, and, uh, cause, uh, but you're right from just a purely mercenary point of view. I've always, I've always been surprised. I've, I've worked with some pretty hilarious. They're always the, the, the bad stories always make the best stories. And I've worked with some hilariously awful people uh as human beings at times they're the they're the slim minority but uh they exist out there but i always go like why are you yelling at that guy like do you have do you have no idea how this business works right exactly the guy who who brought you your coffee that morning could be running the studio um in a couple of years so it is just from a purely yeah or a purely cynical machiavellian way you're you're really that's a poor strategy but you can't, you know, can't fix evil, I guess. Or right. Cruel. No, no, it's interesting. <laughs> it's always like they say, don't meet your heroes. Uh, but then when you do, you're like, wow, this is a very kind person. Mm-hmm. And you just have no idea. You watch them in other interviews sometimes, like right. for myself, yeah. or you hear them have conversations in passing with different journalists. And you just think to yourself, what is this going to be like? 
And then it turns out to be a really positive experience. So for you at this stage of the game, yeah. having done so many projects, whether it's, you know, Sony Marvel or whether it's, you know, clear and present danger. I mean, just the list goes on and on. What are a couple of things that are important to you as a storyteller at this stage for you that make you choose and decide perhaps what you want to work on? Oh, that's a great question. Cause that's also really changed. Yes. Yeah. No, no, it's a great question because I remember when I first started out in the business because I've, it's gone through many iterations in the time that I've been in, in the decades that I've been through it. And I remember when I first started, actors would say the only power you have as an actor is to say no. Right. And so what you choose not to do, that's important. And I remember when I was sort of a young actor and trying, and as a young person, especially in your twenties, not only you're, you're trying on personalities and you're trying to find exactly who you truly are. I mean, I'm, I'm always envious of, of when you meet someone very young, who's got such a clear sense of who they are and, and are comfortable being that person. But I, I remember when I, for in the nineties, I'd say no. And I'd say no to things because I thought, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm crafting this career. And I just remember at some point I thought, I don't know, I'm just going to say yes to everything. And that ended up being, it's probably when I, I, I had sort of, um, I guess in the late nineties, um, I'd finished homicide and I was bouncing around from TV movie to TV movie and doing guest spots here and there. And I, I, I was sort of lost. It was, I, I was, it was a, when I'd get a part, I would come the next day and I wouldn't feel like I had enough time to prepare. And it, and at the same time, I befriended. I finally found my friend group in Los Angeles because it takes a long time to find people who you 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 bond with and okay. share the va values with. And this group that I uh, I found and fell in love with, they were all um, improvisers, comedic improvisers from Chicago, and it was just very random the way we all connected. And they were just the most wonderful, and you know most of them now. I mean, they're all just incredibly talented, but incredibly good people. And um, when I'd started in high school, really acting, my best friend and I, we'd done improv forever. We were doing, we'd, you know, do comedic improv and sketch stuff for our, for our school and assemblies and things like that. And comedy was my first love. But um, basically, I just sort of notched into doing dramas and I became the drama guy. And once you sort of find a lane, that's especially if you're getting offered stuff, it's you sort of stay in that lane. But I befriended all these guys and I would go to all their shows. I'm and I thought, oh, I want to get back into this. So um, I started doing shows in, in, in Hollywood at the Improv Olympic. Um, and it was the greatest experience. It's in the late 90s, early 2000s. This was the greatest sort of, um, I needed it. Uh, the sort of remedy for whatever was ailing me in my career, because the essence of improv is you can take one word or a sentence and you can create a whole 45 minute show out of that. And yeah. then also you're kind of, and really you're, you're, you're saying, and then the key is yes. And right. It's just you agree and you further that on. And it really opened up my work because I was getting a little too, I probably had too many acting classes. I was getting way too into my head on these shows and, and there was no time to prepare. Right. And so, and I'd worked with one of arguably like the biggest acting coach in LA for years. And he was like, he goes, yeah, you need to know all of this. And I go, I don't have time to, you know, 
create this whole backstory. I just got the part yesterday and I have to be on set tomorrow morning. And now I'm just in my <laughs> head, right? I'm totally in my head going, oh, I don't know what I had, you know, what I ate for lunch when I was five years old. I can't play this part. And then improv reminded me, no, it's a kid's game. This is what you do. It's a kid's game played at an adult level. When you're, when you, you know, Brett, if you and I are playing in, in the park when we're seven years old and you go, hey, you're the king of England and I'm the prince. And I go, well, so, so I'm sorry, king of England. I'm going to have to go research what I would wear. And <laughs> let me pull out go, my Encyclopedia Britannica and figure <laughs> exactly right. You just you 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 just go. You're, yes, yes, and yes, I am the king of England, and you are my subjects. And go over here. You it, 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 so that it, it was. It returned me back to the joy of what brought me into this, and also took all of the the intellectualism out of it. It also took all the preciousness out of it because what I look for when I'm working now is. I don't come with a plan of what I'm going to do. I prepare as much as I can or, or, or not. And then you and I are in the scene together. And I always say like one plus one equals infinity. So me playing off of you and you playing off of me, and we're going to create something that we never could have conceived of. And it's going to be much better than anything we could have planned. And, and also the mistake is the scene. Right. So if things go a little wobbly or we go somewhere, uh, you know, down a corridor we hadn't planned on, that might be the scene and that might be more fun to play. So it brought back that sense of joy and that sense of play. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently because we call them, we call ourselves actors now, but we were called players forever, right? That's Shakespeare's players and the list of players and the, the players. And I like play more than act because act means you have to do something, right? It's the verb to do, right? But play is, it's because that's all we're doing. We're playing a kid's game. And so you asked, this, this is my incredibly long-winded answer to your no, question. No, I love it. Like, I think it's great. Is is just that I started saying yes um, because I, right after I started doing all the improv and so any job that would come along, yes, um, absolutely. And, and I've had more, I've had more positive and fulfilling experiences as opposed, cause I thought I had some control, right. And it's that John Lennon thing or, you know, life's what happens while you're making other plans, right. Or, you know, how do you make God laugh, you know, make a plan. Right. So it's just, I, I, it's nice to have an idea of where you want to head, but it's so much better uh, when you just, you know, throw your hat over the wall and say, yeah, I'm, I'm up for whatever comes my way. And so many more, I've had so many more interesting experiences and places I never thought I'd end up um, have happened that way. I mean, on so many shows, you, you just mentioned 24 and Designated Survivor are both perfect examples. I think on 24, I showed up, I think they planned on having me for one episode, right? And then suddenly something happened and then I'm there, I become the bad guy for the rest of the season. That wasn't- Yeah, that was such a great character too. I mean- Yeah. Man. And that's, and the same thing with Designated Survivor. I think I think I was probably brought in for an episode or two and then suddenly they like what I'm doing and that gives them ideas and they go off and write it. And so it became 19 episodes when it probably would have been two. And that's the miracle. You never really know. And your life can change in, in overnight, right? You An experience that you never saw coming and you never could have seen coming. Um, uh, and so it's a great, it's an incredible career. My wife's, uh, an incredible actor as well. And we talk about this often. Um, you know, you have these moments of 
financial uh, concern uh, when you don't know. I just started this year. You go, I don't have any jobs lined up yet. And then, and then you're coming off a strike, which doesn't help. Yeah. And then it shows up. Right. And it always works out. I mean, I've never I've been so fortunate to be a working actor since I was 17. I've I've always worked and it will always come. But you don't know when and you don't know what and you don't know what it'll turn into. I mean, I can't tell you how many things that you you're also on where you go, this is going to be it. This is going to be the biggest show ever. Uh, we're, or you're doing a movie. We're all going to win Academy Awards and you know, nothing happens with it. So. If if someone if if you could plan it if you if you if it was just a, a, a you know mathematical equation then someone would have figured it out a long time ago and you never know what's going to hit yeah right? you don't that's the crazy thing about your world yeah. you know I was just talking to Stephen Weber who oh I love Stephen yeah 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 he's yeah. we've had him a few times and you know he's now on Chicago Med but right. he started out as just like this villainous character that was only supposed to last a few episodes and now he's a permanent fixture on the show right. i want to and my point to all yeah. that is you just don't know so i want to ask you going back to the beginning here as we kind of come mm -hmm. to the end of this chat you talked about 24 you wind up becoming the main character for the rest of the season how do you even prepare for that when you're only thinking you're going to be there for just a little bit but now you're coming back more and more. Do you rely heavily on the writers for a show like that to kind of help shape your character? See, so, cause you don't really know how long you're going to be there. And now you're there for a long time. I find that that tends to happen more often when you're doing network shows where they haven't fully written them out and they okay. don't know okay. per se where they're going. So, because now when I'm doing more of a Netflix show or uh, whatever that may be, AMC show, they've got a plan. They've got a sort of overarching plan because it's easier to think about 10 episodes than it is to think about 22, right? Because traditional network television, we're doing 22. I mean, it was even hilarious on 24. I thought like, the show's called 24. You know how many episodes, you know each one's going to be an hour of the day. You, you must have a plan. And they, 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 they'd gone through their plan already by hour 16 or whatever it was. So now they had to come up with a new plan. And that's fun. I mean, it's challenging as an actor when they don't know. So you yeah, sort of they're like, we don't right? know what we're going to do. It's challenging. So you play it as uh, I've perfected with those characters on those types of shows, staying enigmatic. Okay. And playing into sort of my strengths of like, he could be a bad guy, but he could be a good guy. We'll see. Um, it's obviously it's a little easier when you're on a show where you really know where you fit in. Uh, uh, but so, yeah, I, I and now I've been doing it a long time. So you also sort of realize what flavor you bring to the stew or what instrument you are in the orchestra and so if if it's not very clear i'm gonna play my, my my strongest my strongest instrument my strongest suit my my most uh spicy flavor i'm gonna bring that because i know that's what they want um and i know it's fun because also if it, whatever gets me going usually will be what's right for those characters um and also now i play uh, well i used to say like i play uh um, the guy you love to hate or the, you know, but yes. the, or, or the, the lovable asshole. Uh, and, but, and since my, when my hair went gray, then suddenly I was playing bad guys. Cause you go through all these different, 
a career is made up of all these different uh, different archetypes that you play. So when I first started, I was I was always the boyfriend. I was the the smoochy smooch. And I and I remember going to a manager I had at the time, who luckily now I'm not with. And I said, I don't want to do smoochy smooch anymore. I want to I want to I want to play a cop. She's like, You're gonna do a lot more smoochy smooch. No one's gonna give you a gun. And then luckily I get homicide, and then you play cops for a while. So then I get offered cops, and that transforms into maybe or mutates into FBI agents. And then you play lawyers and then maybe you show them something, you audition and get something else. And now, as soon as I got a little older, I was just playing some pretty evil white guys, which is really fun. As I say, the the bad guys are always the most fun acting wise to play. Unfortunately, they're they're The financial security of playing a bad guy is very low because you will be killed at some point. Yeah. Well, and designated so, survivor is the perfect example. And I, I remember watching you on that show right. and becoming incredibly frustrated with your character because, but that's just a testimony to how good you played it. Mm-hmm. Another show that was really good that came to a stop and then switched over to Netflix and then right. Netflix did what they could with it. And then, you know, that's just the fate of those types of shows. You just don't sure. know and I understand it changed showrunners a few times and then Kiefer did really his best. Um, we were talking to Paulo Costanza who was on that show and yeah. how he really tried his best to like, keep that show going. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a challenge, right? But that's the fun of what you do. You just yeah. don't know what's around the corner. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, I want to ask you really quick. You mentioned mm-hmm. that your wife is an actor yeah. uh, very notably in her own right. So let me ask you, when you are auditioning and doing things, are you running lines with each other? Are you doing helping each other tape auditions? Like, because you both stay incredibly busy. Yeah, no, I'm really lucky. So my wife named Marnie McPhail Diamond. She used to be Marnie McPhail and she she added hyphenated the diamond, which I'm very honored. So she had an amazing career. She started on a show called the Edison Twins back in the 80s, one of the first Disney Channel shows here in Toronto. She grew up in Toronto and we met on a movie 22 years ago in the Paris of the Prairies uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba um, on a TV movie. And we've been together ever since. And then she retired for about 14 years after our daughter was born. And at a certain point, she was sort of ready to get back into it. And she was amazing. She had an incredible career appearance. She's infinitely more talented than I am. And uh, we moved back here to Toronto and a big casting director here was like, I hear you're back, Marnie. And she's like, yeah, will you put yourself on tape for this something? And she did. And of course, she got it. And then he got her, she got her an agent. She's got the most incredible agent. And her career's back. She's come out of retirement. Her career's back better than ever before. She's just in a dream scenario right now with Nick Cage. And she's just finished the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. She's got, she's, in fact, wow. The 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 job the last job I the series I did before the strike was the new Orphan Black show, uh, Orphan yes. Black Echoes, Orphan Black Echoes. And of course, she was already on three other shows and she had to get a part on my show. So it's, which, which, <laughs> which is great. So we got, a, we got an amazing photo of the two of us in her trailer. And it was the first time we'd been on the same show together in 22 years. Uh, but yes, we, it is so great to both. It, it's always been great. I mean, she's the most amazing person in the world and she's an incredible actor, but it's, it's great to have two actors in the family, uh, especially now that we've gone, you just mentioned self tapes. So everything's a self tape. So I get to work with, my favorite actor and we get to play with each other whoever's you know filming who and whoever's on camera so we can improvise and we can keep it fresh and also um she will be um unsparing 
in her critique of of my performance. But we usually we know we know what each other is capable of. So we're just going like just more Marnie or she'll be like more Reed. You just need a little more Reed. And, you know, we get there. Uh, so it, it's it's a delight. It's really fun. Uh, uh, and it's great to talk shop because what I love about this job, I always say, I was talking to an actor I was just working with last week, and I say, you don't need crosswords to stave off dementia when you're an actor because you're problem solving every day, and every day is a new day. You're, you're, there's, a, you're, there's a new challenge, so you're using so many different parts of your brain and personality just to get through. I, mean, I always call it um, work. I call it a thousand uh, first days of school. And you're just, and so often, gosh, with what we do, your first day, maybe your only day, or it's your biggest day, right? You've just got all your scenes in that day and you've got to meet new people and create a character. And, wow. and so it, it, it definitely, um, it definitely ch keeps you challenged. It keeps you agile and facile and it's the greatest. It's, I, I remember, I, I can't tell if I faded myself to become a working actor, but I just remember in 10th grade, I'm backstage doing this play, Jean Giraudoux's Electra at school. And I go, all I want to do is be a working actor and work for the rest of my life. And it's happened. I've been a working actor almost since then. And, wow. and it's, yeah, it's great. It's a, uh, it's an amazing life. You meet amazing people. You and I get to talk. I mean, you, there's so many people it's, very cool, fun people. And it's an adventure every day. And, uh, and you get to be a kid. I just, I got to work just now with one of my idols, Keith Carradine. Oh, and wow. we just, right. And we're just sitting there and, we're like, and we, and he gets it. We're, we, we have a very similar take on all of this. And we're just like, are we lucky in this great? He's like, we don't have to grow up and we get to, I mean, you, you know, we have to, we got bills to pay, but it's, you still, you're for, for, for your job, you're playing pretend and, and dressing up and it's so much fun. Yeah. Well, as I said at the beginning, you know, I've been a fan. I loved watching you. I mean, so many different projects. Thanks, bro. One last question. hundred yeah, percent. I was like, man, I need yeah. to get him on my yeah. show. So out of all the characters you played, is there one in particular where you have perhaps learned something different about yourself that you didn't know, or maybe a character that has brought something out of you whether it's the positive or it could be the negative, but I think it's all an encompassing learning experience with all the different people that you get to play. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll even, I'll even take that to another place. What you, what's so fascinating about this is you don't know what world you're going to inhabit and you're going to learn about. I didn't know that I would know everything about B-17 bombers, but then I've suddenly am a B-17 bomber pilot. And I know everything about B-17 bombers. And, and that's the fun, especially as like a sort of autodidactic dude who loves to learn new stuff all the time. It's great to be forced into a world where like, I'm just going to learn about that world. Um, and so, like I said, I prepared for years to be a cop and back that was the only books. So I just read every book on cops that ever that had existed about New York cops and Chicago cops and Boston cops. And I always love when it takes you somewhere strange that you didn't, uh, I'm trying to think of like, I've learned about, you know, the Ironside ships in the civil war, because I did that. You just, you're learning about, or any a, a scientific subject that you never would have learned about. Cause I always want to look if you're playing a doctor and you have to say, Oh, that's the, that jargon. I want to learn what it really is all about. So it's, it's an honor. That was a thing. I remember being a little kid and I go, oh, I don't think I can pick one job. 
And I luckily chose a profession where I can play all the jobs and just never know what they're going to be. I'm like, God, I, the skills that I've learned how, I learned how to ride a horse for a movie. I learned how to scythe grass. I mean, just silly things that you would never have added to your, to your lexicon, to your, uh, your skill set. But so it's, it's, it's an incredible life with incredible people. Yes. Well, Orphan Black, which is now mm-hmm. available to watch, of course. Yeah. And then of you can't beat 24. I mean, such an iconic no. series. You know, all of the shows that you've been a part of. And of course, now uh, your new project that you're working on, which we can't talk about much of, but we look forward to seeing Criminal Intent. That's just such a great show. Um, did I get that title right? Law and Order. Yes. This I'm t- the one I just did is Law and Order Organized Crime. Organized uh, Crime, yeah. There's and, so many. Okay, Organized Crime. And then I'm very finally because everything got delayed because of the strike. But Orphan Black Echoes is coming out in June on AMC, so that's going to be. I'm excited for that show. That's that's probably my most fun character in decades. So I'm really looking forward to that show. I love it, Reed. Thank you so much, man. It's Brett, been a pleasure thanks, chatting man. with you. My pleasure. Thanks, Absolutely. Buddy. Thanks for listening and being a part of today's conversation. Thank you! If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. It's absolutely free. A major proportion. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. And remember, we care.